in less than a year, we opened Marigold and it was my husband and Laura and I, and oh my God. I mean, we had lines like out the door. It was crazy. I couldn't believe that there were so many people that needed this. Yeah. I mean, I get teary. Welcome to Connection Request. I'm Joel Lehman, and you are listening to the first episode of Season 2. Special thanks to our presenting sponsor, SK Coffee. This season, we have an amazing lineup of guests on the show. We're chatting with the architect of Minnesota's pandemic response, a prominent teacher TikToker, a senior advisor at the Gates Foundation, an actress from the TV show Dave, and so many more. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. But today we are talking with Aaron Flavin, owner of Minnesota's first non-alcoholic beverage shop, Marigold, now with two locations, as well as the owner of her salon, Honeycomb. She's on a mission to make not drinking cool. And if her first year in business is any indication, I'd say she's doing a pretty good job of it. We chat about how the pandemic made her rethink a lot, including her relationship with alcohol, We also chat about how she's moved throughout her career in both hair and entrepreneurship. And we get a firsthand look at the rise of the NA movement, both in Minnesota and across the U.S. By the way, Marigold has a bunch of great events going on to celebrate Sober October, including a weekly golden hour. So if you are based in Minnesota like I am, we've got a link in the show notes to learn more. Thanks for being here with us for season two. We're so happy you're here. We'll get to my conversation with Aaron Flavin after a quick word from our sponsor, SK Coffee. This season, we are thrilled to be sponsored by SK Coffee, a specialty coffee roaster based in Minnesota, shipping worldwide. Listeners of the show will remember Sam from season one, where he shared his journey from musician to entrepreneur. We'll hear more from Sam later in the episode. My name is Erin Flavin. I have been a hairdresser for over 20 years. And during the pandemic and uprising, I had a, I guess, a mirror put up to how much I was drinking. And in that journey, a lot of things were revealed. And I quit drinking and long story short, opened a non-alcoholic bottle shop, which forced me into hairdresser retirement, which I never thought was going to happen. So I won't be the blue haired little permed old lady doing people's hair anymore. Yeah. So something that, as you know, on this show, we talk about people who make leaps and and go in unexpected places. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because you, I think like so many people during the pandemic had this moment of awakening or whatever you want to call it. But Tell us a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind, about that. That's a big move to make to go from salon owner and hairdresser to opening a second business, and it focused on something completely new. If I'm right, you are the first NA bottle shop in Minnesota. Correct. What did that feel like, and what was the journey from, okay, I think I'm drinking a lot, 
to I'm going to turn that into a business and part of my life's mission. You know, that's like a, that's a big leap. Not everybody does that. It was, it was really confusing for the general contractors that I was working with. So essentially what went down was, you know, March 14th, when we shut the doors and all of my hairdressers who are all independent contractors, we had to stop doing hair. And as a den mother of stylists, what could I do to keep the business open without putting all of these independent contractors at risk of losing their place to be working and myself keeping my business open. I had been working really hard at getting my retail side of the business rocking for years. Yeah. And really, really hard to kind of get people to come in and look at the other things that we had in the shop when they came in and saw that we were a hair salon. They didn't want to interrupt us and whatnot. Sure. When we closed the doors, I quickly went into that fight or flight mode where you're like, okay, I'm sure a lot of business owners did. And I did have a lot of people I talked to throughout this whole thing with like Dylan Alverson from Modern Times. We kept in contact about how we were going to like change the idea of what we were doing with our business while this was all going on. So I got everything on Shopify. I started ordering products with my idle loan that I got. You know, I, I yeah. went hustled and I got all of the things, the PPP, the yeah. idle loan and everything. And it's like hard to even go back and think about. Yeah. I'm sitting at the dining room table that my kids were running around fighting on computers. I don't, this isn't like a typical thing for me to be at a computer, right? Like, so this was all like really, really difficult. My husband, he's a public librarian. So they were trying to get him to be working from home, which seemed really weird. Um, Because we are public facing people. This is the first time I'd ever tried to work from home where we're going through the feelings as hairdressers of feeling animosity for all the people who can work from home, who can still make a living. We couldn't. And were begging us to go to their backyards and do their hair, even though we didn't know what was going to happen to us if we did. And so trying to help everybody through that journey, I didn't have anybody pay rent at that time. I just wanted everybody to feel secure and comfortable and knowing that they were going to have a place to come work after whenever this was going to be done. Fast forward, I don't even know, into the time warp of COVID and then George Floyd was murdered. And we were about to open the shop and my landlord was boarding up the building and my landlord was Mark McClellan. His very first business was Slice of New York and his brother, Steve McClellan, opened First Avenue. He's like one of 10 or 11 kids and I'm one of nine. So we always had that kind of bond and I've been in the building for now 13 years. And so he kind of half jokingly, very kind of seriously was like, are you really interested in buying the building? Yeah. And I was like, as he's boarding the building up and I have no stylist working and I'm like, well, I am, but I have no money and you're boarding me up right now. And he's like, well, I'm willing to wait for you to figure out the financing to do this. And he did. He waited a year for me to get my hustle on and find all of the resources that I could possibly find in the city to buy a million dollar building under 
pandemic. <laughs> My gosh. Um, and during that's when I, I'll say I, I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out when I was 16 years old. So I have a beauty school. That's all I had. So yeah. all of this was my college, like trying to find grants and loans and work with the SBA, the bank, different like, you know, uh, lender that is a higher interest rate, but all of these things in order to finance this building. And in that, with an SBA loan, you have to have 51% occupancy of your building. Yeah. And I've never really wanted to be a big salon owner. The only reason why I've ever grown beyond the original three that I had set out with yeah. 13 years ago was to have babies and then to be faced with having to expand my business as a hairdresser with more stylists when stylists were like dropping like flies. Nobody mm. wanted to do hair. It was scary. And yeah. not to mention the emotional labor of having to take care of yourself and then your clients who are facing a global trauma, wherever yeah. anybody was at on that spectrum, whether they were, you know, it's mostly fluent middle-class people that are coming into the salon to get their hair done. Mm -hmm. But, and so they're feeling guilty. They're going through a reckoning yeah. of sorts with how they face racial equity and all of this stuff that yeah. we as hairdressers are trying to help them. Sort of and be a therapist almost as well, yeah. like a second job on top of doing the hair. I love the women that I work with. We went through so much together and I've never in my 13 years of owning a shop been more Either it's that I'm in tune with how to run a shop now after trial and error for the last 13 years, hmm. or I really did land on the most amazing women that I could possibly be working with. Hmm. And I didn't want to lose that by adding in some new elements. Like we were all very tender and needed to feel safe in our environment. But in order to do the thing that I never would have ever dreamed, buying a building, I mean, that is my, that's my security. This is my, hairdressers don't have retirement. We don't get a 401k. We don't yeah. get any of that. And, you know, I'll say as an advocate of the hairdresser, when people question why hairdressers raise their prices, we have to pay for insurance. We have to, you know, take care of our children the best we can without health insurance that isn't we have to go to the open market for that we totally so, different than a knowledge worker or somebody right like it's just a different set of circumstances in the world. about why they're raising their prices they work their asses off and yeah. they love you and want to take care of you so you should do the same yeah side note yeah um, good side note i appreciate it so during all that i'm drinking with burke and christina at ola across the street who's also closed we're drinking margaritas and wondering how they're gonna like expand their patio, how we're going to make this business happen, uh, the restaurants. Oh my God, a totally other, you yeah. know, and going home, going to the cork dork, buying a couple of nice bottles of wine and drinking them. Long story short, I figured out that I was drinking too much and I needed to quit. Yeah. And it was October 8th. It'll be three years. So I quit and my husband probably two weeks later quit as well, which really helped out. Hmm. I mean, you know, we're waking up every morning and fighting and hungover and the kids are a mess and yeah. 
it was hard. Yeah. And so once that kind of happened, I started researching different things that were out there that we could drink to feel like we were a part of the solo stove gathering in the backyard, right? I think my first real taste of something that opened my eyes to the world of non-alcoholic was Suki and Mimi was struggling to open and they mm. had a full NA tasting on their menu. We went and sat outside and got in a conversation with one of the servers about how we quit drinking. And and he's like, oh, you have to try this sparkling tea that we have on our NA flight. And it was the Copenhagen sparkling tea, the blah, which is a jasmine base. Hmm. And it was mind blowing. And I was like, wow, there are people who are actually taking, you know, into account the people who want to celebrate with food, with friends, and making something sophisticated for us to drink. And then, you know, fast forward a couple weeks when Suki and Mimi, or maybe months, I don't know, time warp, uh, (laughs) Mimi opened and we went in for dinner because we were so excited that they were honoring that side of society, you know, people who don't drink. And we had some beautiful cocktails, non-alcoholic cocktails on their menu and figured out that they were Trace Leches. I don't know if you know those guys. And searching for those guys is, it's pretty funny. Hmm. I, I really had to like hit all of my restaurant contacts, find out who these dudes were because they're not, hmm. they don't have a social media presence. Their website is like, you know, non-existent. Yeah. They don't be discovered for how beautiful of a beverage that they're making. I mean, hmm. they're, they're the drink base for most of the beautiful cocktails that you can find around town, whether they're sure. alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And who introduced me? I think my, my friend Katie Callen, who worked for Fair State for a time. And I think she knew them from being in the restaurant industry forever. Those guys took me in and introduced me to Peter Schweigert, who is Drywit. Drywit is a completely zero-proof, non-alcoholic beverage made by Peter Schweigert and another founder, Megan Dayton. Peter was the bartender at, and the genius behind the bar at Marvel Bar. Mm. And they had been starting at kind of an NA journey in early 2020, right? I remember sort of reading the press at the time. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. A bar is sort of having this whole new menu of NA. So it seems like even though you've been the first to open up like your own location as a bottle shop, the movement was sort of getting off the ground slowly before that. Yeah, absolutely. And oh my gosh, I love Peter Schweigert. I love, I love all those guys. I met Ben from ABV. ABV um, technology is, have you heard of it? It's pretty cool. Ben has created a machine that de-alcoholizes alcoholic beverages. So oh, interesting. Uh, non-alcoholic beers around town, that is ABV technology. Cool. So he's a really cool guy. There's the behind the scenes of the NA scene in Minneapolis is incredible. And there's yeah. so many cool people who are a part of it. It is, I mean, I would say um, very lovingly that it has created a movement to help people who otherwise don't identify with 12 steps, you yeah. know, like yeah. being have 
a space in society that isn't so other than mm. everybody else. That's what I'm trying to do is yeah. not drinking cool because yeah. in all of my life, I mean, I'm not even going to be embarrassed to say that as an adult, I went through, you know, from adolescent to adult, like you wanted to hang out with people who were as raw or wild as you were, right? Like mm. I like yeah, yeah, yeah. lived at a, at the church that through noise shows, that was my last like jaunt in, you know, party land before I became a hairdresser. And, and then my drinking became super bougie. Once I became a hairdresser and had money to throw around, I was going out for fancy dinners that I can't even remember what I would eat because I would drink so much like yeah. alcoholism or partying. It progresses in your life in a way that it, you can't really control while you yeah. think that alcohol is the thing that is the thing that makes it easier for you to control like it will take away your anxiety if you're going to go to a party yeah one thing i love about your story is well first of all i just continue to be fascinated that you kind of made that leap and it's not only kind of this movement but it's now the business venture but also kind of the intricate sounds of the community behind it did it I guess kind of a two-part question. One is, did it feel risky once you finally both made the decision and opened up your doors? Was it like, right, to go from, hey, I'm a salon owner to got this other new business that's never been done in Minnesota before? Was Did it feel risky or did you feel like you had support? And then part two, I guess, is what's the response been like since you opened your doors? Oh my gosh. It felt really risky, but it also felt so right, especially... Hmm because I kind of had my my market research in my chair, you know, like mm. talking to young women, older women, men, young men, older men was facing that that struggle with alcohol. People that I've been doing their hair for years and years and they were not big drinkers mm. and they were staying at home and that was the way that they were marking their the end of the day, the end of their work day was by an alcoholic beverage. Oh. So when moving into all this and I I will I'm going to give a big ups to Katie Kalen, who we became good friends during all this. And she was like, if you're going to do this, let's do it. Let's put some non-alcoholic beverages in your salon and let's trial this. Let's see how hmm. this works. So that's what I did. I put up some shelves and I started selling some cool things that I was discovering in the market. And um, so that was going well. And people, when I started seeing that people were coming in specifically to the salon for these non-alcoholic beverages, that little dream of making my boutique kind of welcome people in off the street to to check it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did have some people question my sanity during it too. Like, well, sure. you think it's actually going to work? And it was terrifying, you know, opening the doors and, and wondering how I was going to manage it all. I can't believe I, I did all the things. I still don't understand how I did all of that. Well, doing hair, taking care of my kids and my relationship not imploding because we were under so much insane stress. Yeah. I mean, definitely quitting drinking was the best decision I could have made for all of the pressure that I was under yeah. during whole journey. But since I've opened the doors, I got a $10,000 grant right pre-opening, which allowed me to hire a manager, which I desperately mm. needed because I didn't have a single cent left after all was said and done. Yeah. And 
hired my one of my oldest friends, Lara Valente, who'd been in the restaurant industry for over 25 years. Hmm. And that woman is a powerhouse who I would also like to plug is opening her own yarn and fabric store called Dandelion Fibers. She's cool. an incredible woman. So if you don't see her in restaurants anymore, you will now see her embarking on her own business journey, which is well-deserved. But she is a powerhouse, man. She, in less than a year, we opened Marigold and it was my husband and Lara and I, and oh my God. I mean, we had lines like out the door. It was crazy. I couldn't believe that there were so many people that needed this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get teary just thinking about how every day i mean it's like i haven't lost that component of connection that i had that i built with my clients which i'm very sorry clients that i don't do your hair anymore but i i loved that i loved that about doing hair being able to connect people and share their lives you know on a six to eight week basis finding out what's going on with them how their kids are like what's going on in their life and how they're taking care of themselves and People coming in and the stories that they have about just being able to feel like they have somebody that they they share this commonality with. It's really special. Mm. And I then I had a woman who was coming in to the shop a lot when it was just the salon, Melissa Rubel, who was at the time working at Edo. And she was buying some non-alcoholic beverages and getting really excited about it. And we just connected on so many different levels. She's now my events and social media coordinator and she mm. also bears a very big desire to connect with the community which mm. we love you know i mean yeah. if there was more of us to go around we would love to make it happen but there aren't enough hours in the day for the requests we're getting for this like it's not just a it's not just an na bottle shop and it's it is like community connection it totally. really is totally and the speaking of the response, it must have been good because how quickly did you decide to open a second location then? Oh my God, that was wild. So we quickly hired up. Lara and I were in the shop one day and this couple, Bonnie and Milo, were coming in pretty frequently and they were like, oh, I just wish you were in our part of town. We're in St. Paul and it's such a, for some reason, that real physical barrier is there with the river. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Speaking as a St. Paul resident, I can agree. Yeah, totally. It's not that far, but for some reason, it really yeah. does feel like a barrier. And yeah. um, they were, they said, hey, this the little bottle shop moved down the street and this cute little space is open. You should come and check it out. And I was like, find out who the landlord is and find out, get her number. And yeah. I'll just, well, go check it out. Why not? And we did. And the, I mean, all signs kind of pointed to yes. The landlord was a woman, which is really cool. Another yeah. um, commercial building owned by a, a woman and who had been owned by a woman for like over 60 years. Her mother was the very first realtor in Minnesota Whoa. who owned the Milton Square. Crazy. And I just really loved that story. And the space is adorable it's 380 square feet and what i love is to make a space so cute and Mm. that was it's a little jewel box it's a genie bottle it's that i grew up watching i dream a genie so 
it's my very own little genie bottle without the master on the outside. There's a lot to love about SK Coffee, our presenting sponsor for Connection Request. Every time I talk to SK's founder, Sam Chelberg, I'm fascinated to learn more about what makes their coffee so special and why people are so drawn to them. Here's Sam. We're not a company that you're going to get the exact same thing over and over again. It's always going to be an exploration. This is literally an agricultural product, and every year it's different. So it's like wine in that way. But something even more special than the coffee itself has always stood out to me. It's the entire SK team's passion. They treat their work like a real art form, and each of them care deeply about coffee's people, place, and process. Here's Sam again. The way we're trying to tell that story is not through, you know, interesting crafted cocktail coffee drinks, right? It's all, what is the coffee trying to say? What is the producer, the place, the plant itself trying to say the process? And we are literally translating that communication from the raw product into your cup. To learn more about SK Coffee, visit skcoffeeplease.com or check out their excellent Instagram page. If you live in Minnesota, stop into one of their cafes in St. Paul or Minneapolis. You might even spot me there. All those links are in the show notes. Okay, now back to the show. I'm just curious, you have said in in an interview I read with you that you believe sobriety is a total spectrum and that people should feel accepted anywhere they fall on that line. I'm just curious, yeah, talk a little bit more about that. And I guess another thing I'm curious is where do you see the intersection of the NA movement with another big movement in Minnesota right now and around the country, which is cannabis? Talk to me a little bit about those two things and how they do or don't kind of intersect. That's a big conversation, man. So I I didn't really tinker with the with cannabis for a good year after I quit. I just had not been a big pothead in high school and then once I started drinking it just really didn't they don't jive very well mm. for me. I mean, I can't believe people can actually smoke and drink it. Sure. It blows and I would be in the hospital. <laughs> but you know, as things were progressing and really like the self-discovery of who I was as a person without substance, I felt a little bit more comfortable after a year of really facing myself and all of the problems that I had been kind of drinking away for many years, Mm -hmm. I started inviting a little bit of that into my world. And I'm a very low dose girl, but it does really help me out. It helps me sleep. It's not for everybody. And that's okay. I like the cross pollination of it. Mm. I like the ability to, you know, I want to educate people enough and the people that I work with who are all incredibly lovely people and take a lot of pride in knowing all about the products that we have at the shop. Yeah. To be able to kind of have a conversation with somebody about where they're at in their sobriety or non-sobriety or taking a break or maybe somebody just wants to put a little bit of NA gin in with their gin so they are just reducing the amount of alcohol that they're drinking. There should be no judgment on where people are at with that. It's such an individual journey. So really wanting to face that and have people come in and 
feel comfortable wherever they're at with it. I mean, yeah. I feel the same way about the salon. Like, I never wanted anybody to come in there and feel like they don't belong there because they're not wearing head to toe, you know, Prada or whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. we're a very casual group of people and it's real. I want people to feel like they can be honest with themselves when they're in that environment. Yeah. But with the cannabis stuff, it's pretty frustrating. I'm now facing, like, I would really like to highlight this beverage that Bauhaus and I were doing a collaboration and I'm coming out Mm. with cannabis beverage at the end of October or maybe sooner. And I can't sample it out at my shop because I don't have a liquor license. Mm. And so it is a big disappointment that the alcohol industry is, and I understandably why, I mean, a lot of the breweries are the ones who are making these seltzers and whatnot. But when I look at cannabis, I look at it as a medicine and something that really can help people with pain, with sleep, with if, if used right anxiety, with all of those things. And now it's under the wing of the alcohol. Mm. Seems like maybe they shouldn't be the ones who get to sort of be in the driver's seat for the movement. No, not at all. Sure. And and I've already jumped through a lot of hoops. The city and the health department couldn't quite figure out where to put me with licensing. Sure. So that's been another big journey. I feel like businesses like mine shouldn't be punished and I shouldn't have to get a liquor license. Or put in a small kitchen in order to get a low, like the lowest grade liquor license. Like it would be like a three, two license. Like I would have to put in a kitchen and all of that. Just to sort of meet those requirements. Sure. Interesting. I don't want to do, I mean, I don't know. I know what the answer is about that. And I feel like it's just like the government. You just don't really feel like you have any say, no matter what a democratic society we live in. There's no, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody's going to listen to me. So, yeah. Well, that that's frustrating. I guess my naive, optimistic hope for you is that as this new office gets put in place and all that kind of stuff, that they do take time to sort of listen to you and build a relationship. Because it, it seems to me like you're, um, I'm sure we'll get to kind of where, the, where this movement is headed, but it seems like you're kind of part of building this big tent of NA. And it seems like something that we would want to continue. So I wish you luck. Thank you. You mentioned you didn't go to college, that you were a hairdresser for a long time. You opened your own shop. Just tell me a little bit about like that part of your career and life journey. What have you learned along the way? And I guess what's your relationship with identity as it relates to in some ways leaving that part of your life behind? Obviously, you're still running the salon. But as you said kind of at the beginning of the show, it is like you're not doing people's hair anymore. How? Yeah, that's a big question. There's a lot to get through in there. But tell me yeah. about kind of that that <laughs> side of you and who you are. Yeah, well, yeah. And then being asked that question, but you're like, oh, man, I guess I really have to pinpoint how that all played out. Um, it is, I fought being a hairdresser for a really long time just because I, I grew up in it. My best friend mm. and I, um, we came up in her dad's salon and my sister also did hair. And I take pieces of what I learned from John as a salon owner, and he also was an art dealer. So there are pieces that I took with me from that. 
celebrating local artists and will continue to do that. Okay. Sorry. Hard question. I guess coming from doing hair and how hard you have to work behind the chair and also be connected to so many people's lives. And I always loved the connections that I could make with people through that, you know, like whether or not I connect them or it's a connection that I have that I can send off to somebody else. Learning about people's lives is something we have in common uh, big time. It's such an important piece of who I am. I, you know, being from a big family and just living in this city my whole life have learned about a lot of different people's lives, which is so cool. And a lot of the struggles that artists have, like coming up or being able to, I feel fortunate that I was able to open a business and have a storefront and have all of the things that a lot of these small makers, you know, the whole maker community kind of came up around this. I mean, it's been around forever, forever, right? Like, you know, my brother jokes that anytime I'm like, oh, God, I need a new pair of shoes. He's like, well, why don't you have one of your weird cobbler friends? Maybe like, <laughs> always like joking that I know somebody who makes every item on yeah. the planet, right? Yeah. But that is a thing that I feel like I got to expand my desire to connect people and bring up different people, like by doing posting pop-ups and letting people bring their things in and sell them in a store where they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to have a store and get discovered. I mean, it's a lot easier to be a merchant in this era with Instagram and everything like that. Mm. But I don't feel like I lost my identity as a hairdresser. I feel like I got to expand it with this new journey in the way that, I mean, truly it, it is a really beautiful connection between the two because we so intimately talk about our personal lives in the chair. People who find themselves not very conversational about themselves and their what they have going on reveal a lot in the chair. It's inevitable. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess is that a roundabout way to answer it? I'm sorry. I had to think about that really hard while talking about it. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you got there. I Like I, it's interesting how you draw that through line through your career, right. Of like, in some ways, like something that I like to talk about with anyone in terms of career journeys is you're always just like discovering a new chapter of yourself. Right. And in that way, this in a weird roundabout way just ended up being the next thing. And also, did I read that dad owned a bar as well? So like, so in that way, you're also sort of continuing something you knew, but just a little bit of a spin on it. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is that the bar that my dad owned in Little Falls um, called Flavin's Pub, we walked by a few years ago and it's now a salon. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really funny. (laughs) That's so funny. So that's really wild. Um, but also, I was thinking about this earlier today. I had therapy today, too. So Same. You know, Later. Yeah. Awesome. Therapy and podcast are, you know, sort of oh, nice so overlap. Good. But thinking about how my household was always a party. There was always my brothers and sisters. You know, my brother Sean just turned 65 and I'm 45. So he's my third oldest brother. Mm. So 
there's always been this kind of sense of gathering and and an ongoing party, a celebration, a community connection in my life that I mean I it brought me up. So I will never lose that. That's it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, that being said, I guess I will shamelessly plug the November fourth, we're going to be having a one year party to celebrate honeycomb, marigold the whole thing and our new beverage that we're coming out with and also to welcome into town a cool company called proxies that essentially started around the time 2020 2019 by this company acid league and so we're going to be welcoming their products into the store and celebrating the other vendors that we've got a lot of cool people in the city that are doing cool things so well <laughs> Thank you for that. I will definitely be there. And when this comes out, we'll definitely make sure to promote that. That's maybe a good kind of segue into the future. I guess, where do you see this journey going as much as you've planned out for the future, right? This is such a new and exciting chapter, as well as you're kind of at the helm of this kind of new movement in Minnesota. I'm curious, what is sort of next in addition to throwing a party? Uh, and then I guess, too, as much as you have a sense of like the national and or global scene, like where does what's next for you and your business in Minnesota fit into kind of that bigger picture of NA as a movement? It's definitely a movement. I'm definitely getting I mean, I could have a full time job helping coach people on mm. opening how to open their own. Mm. Every day we get somebody reaching out to find out how they go about doing this. And I don't have enough time to be able to help sure. people, but I'm so happy that it is happening, yeah. that small towns are like taking it into consideration. I mean, we were in a small town in, God, where did we go this summer? Lake Vermilion mm. and around that area. And we went to some dive bar to get pizza one night and there was several tables who were at the bar drinking non-alcoholic beer like bud huh. zero whatever yeah. it was yeah wow like because there is nothing else to do in a mm. small town your community goes to the bar at night and yeah. pull tabs or there was trivia or whatever it is and you want to still be a part of that yeah Something you don't want the fabric of the community yeah like that's right yeah. But to make it acceptable in the fabric of the community to not drink is such a big deal. And mm. having it recognized globally is is a really big deal. It's so cool. Yeah. I As far as Marigold goes, I'm really working hard at not getting too far ahead of myself because that's something I'm an ideas person and sure. I don't drive everybody that works for me crazy. So I'm really trying to focus on the things that we're trying to get better at. I mean, it will be in year November 1st. So we haven't even been open in a year and we have two stores. So just really making sure to take care of the people that we have in store and keeping them educated and keeping them happy and excited to talk to people every day about their journey and how we can support that. And also getting out into the community. And like we did an event at the U of M with a small department, we're going to be doing the James J. Hill House. There's a lot of different little events that we could be a part of, but it also requires staffing and, you yeah. know, all of, and a lot of work that Melissa Rubel is doing right now to keep it coordinated and, and, you know, what makes it, I don't want to say 
worth our time, but it, there is a, a component of that, that yeah. it's so much work. You can't do everything, right? Everything yeah. off, do all the planning, do all that. But that being said, we want to be there for people. I would really love to do some product development mm. and, yeah. you know, develop my brand more, which I love my designer, Maddie Nye. She has been in my life for over 20 years and cool. worked as a receptionist at my salon. And she was one of the small maker community that kind of came up during that time. And she's an incredible graphic designer and I'm really lucky to have her. So I would love to see everything non-alcoholic mattified. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Well, you have been so generous with your time. You've already like both taught me a lot in this conversation. I think give me some really good things to think about. As I already sort of disclosed, I have been a patron of one of your shops and plan to be for the other as well and look forward to the party. Are there any parting thoughts, Aaron, about either lessons learned or sort of, you know, things that you learned whether it relates to your life or your career or anything of this journey that you've been on any anything else that you think our listeners might be interested in well i guess with the growth of the movement of na and the cannabis world i just want to say that there's room for everybody and hmm. that i've noticed in the coming up of the cannabis area that there's a lot of kind of battling between which brand is the best. And hmm. after being a hairdresser and a salon owner for so many years, I just will say that there's room for everybody. There's a salon on every half block. Just do good at what you do good at and support everybody else because we're all in it. And if you're there to provide something special to the community, just be your best self for that, not to compete. And also, I will say that there's this marketing scenario called Sober October, but it does give people a chance to kind of recover from that summertime yeah. part of town that everybody has been on, drinking margaritas and as much sparkling wine as I could possibly do yeah. in a summer. We're going to be hosting a golden hour at Marigold mm. on Wednesday evenings from 6 to 8, I think we decided. And so people can come in and have a drink and be able to kind of like talk to other people who are always surprised that there's other people just like them yeah. struggling with the amount that they're drinking or just want to take a break. It's a, fun, it's a fun place to connect and be disarmed. It's a happy place. So please come in and check out Wednesday nights. Well, where can people find out more information about all the amazing stuff you all are doing and follow you on your journey as you go? You can find us on Instagram. And also you could go to our website at mary.gold and go to our events portion of the page and find out all the things that we have coming up. Cool. Well, I will look forward to seeing you very soon at your shop. And Aaron Flavin, I just really appreciate you taking some time to spend with us today. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you thinking of me. Thank you, Joel. That is it for today's episode of The Connection Request. If you enjoyed today's show, would you leave us a review or share it with a friend? It'd mean a lot to us. Today's show is produced by Marie Ayanazo and me, Joel Lehman. 
Today's theme music is by the amazing Mike Lauer and his band viewers like you. It's from their album, Panoramia. The show is a production of Shrug Content, a podcast studio based in Minnesota. You can learn more about us at shrugcontent.com. Special thanks to SK Coffee, our very first presenting sponsor for the show. You can learn more about them at skcoffeeplease.com. If you live around the Twin Cities, ping me. I'll take you there myself. First cup is on me. You can connect with the show on Instagram, Twitter, or X, TikTok, and YouTube. Send us feedback, guest ideas, and love is blind theories at connect at shrugcontent.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.